we giving colon cleanse advice to? We have, have already discussed colon cleanses on this podcast. Advice a lot. about butt health? Nobody should turn to us for <laughs> advice about butt health. It's not what we do. <laughs> I have I have great advice on butt health. One, if a Russian asks if they can penetrate you, say no. Uh, two, colon cleanses don't work. <laughs> oui, c'est vrai. Je suis un ananas. Now, in the uh, towers of uh, Edmonton... I'm not a Tory. I don't speak on both sides. I do not use crack cocaine, nor am I an addict of crack cocaine. French and Fabulous. I'm Jessica. And I'm still Janelle. And today we have a very special topic that I'm super excited about. It's Guy Burgess, a British question mark spy exclamation mark. Uh, active during World War II and much of the Cold War. <laughs> I wasn't aware that question mark and exclamation mark were official army rankings, but I'm, I'm fascinated. <laughs> yeah, I, Continue, I, please. Yes. So this topic was suggested by uh, a good friend who would likely prefer to remain unnamed and unspecified, uh, and I would like to recognize the book uh, they recommended to me, Stalin's Englishman by An- Andrew Lowney, from which I took much of my research. Oh, so this is this is going to be a weird episode. It's going to be it's going to be real weird. It's a Jessica episode. Furthermore, it's a fat oh. French and fabulous episode. It's going to be extremely yeah, it's weird. Gonna, <laughs> shit's going to get strange. So even, even when we start off with something basically normal, it gets weird. <laughs> uh, just Strap all the in. time. Just hold on to your butts, to quote Janelle from several <laughs> episodes back. Anyway, um, to set the stage, I would like to start with a quote from Jeronwy Reese, a Welsh journalist, about the evening he and Burgess became friends at a dinner party hosted by future U.S. Supreme Court Justice Felix Frankfurter. And I would just like to pause for a moment to recognize that sensational name. <laughs> Felix Frankfurter? Felix Frankfurter, man. I want to buy hot dogs from him. Absolutely. I just, my association with the word Frankfurter is just burned <laughs> in. <laughs> it cannot be separated. Yeah, I also maybe want to run away with him forever. <laughs> we'll see. Hot dogs or elopement. I want one of the two. Those are the options. Um, To quote, I had heard of Guy before because he had a reputation of being the most brilliant undergraduate of his day at Cambridge. His conversation had that more charm because he was very good looking in a boyish athletic way. It seemed almost incongruous that almost everything he said made it quite clear that he was a homosexual and a communist. (laughs) I was just going to say, are they are they fucking? Because that sounds like they're fucking. Uh, they are not, but that's mostly because Garanwi Reese uh, is very was very heterosexual. It's not that Burgess didn't try. <laughs> <laughs> he absolutely made a go of it the first time they met. <laughs> Guy Francis de Monty Burgess was born to a middle class family with a long military tradition. His own father, Malcolm Burgess, had a had an at best mediocre naval career and took early retirement due to his limited prospects for advancement within the Navy. Mind, this also might have had something to do with his health, because on September 15, 1924, at the age of 13, Guy Burgess woke up to his mother screaming and found her in bed trapped under his father, who had died mid-coitus of a heart attack and had to physically well, pull him off her. <laughs> I'm traumatized just by hearing I, that. 
That's not even my dad. And, and I need I'm therapy. upset. <laughs> I'm very I need upset. That's eight kinds of therapy. Like I need Neapolitan ice cream therapy. I need to see three different therapists back to back. <laughs> Just to get I feel like help if you, me process. If you witness that as a thirteen year old. I think you just get a doctor's note that just says you don't you're you're done. You don't have to do you're anything. You're excused. Ever. You're excused. You can go. <laughs> you can go. You don't need to do gym class or any class yeah. or a job. You don't need just, to go to you English. Go. You know, if no. you just want to sit in a room, stare at a wall and try to forget, that's fair. <laughs> that's permitted. Absolutely. You're allowed. <laughs> um uh, he later blamed the incident for his exclusive sexual interest in men, uh, which isn't what? how anything what? works. Uh, what? I saw a man die on top of my mother, and it made me want to have sex with men. Yeah, I'm not sure he what? thought this through, but he might have just been trying to shock people. He was very fond of that. <laughs> well, he wins. I'm upset. <laughs> I'm so upset. <laughs> And it's I'm hard very to tell upset. the truth of this anecdote, as we only have Burgess's word for it, and his brother Nigel denied knowledge of the incident. Burgess excelled academically and took a year at Eton at 12 before moving to the Britannia Royal Naval College at Dartmouth, to which is not the Dartmouth <laughs> in Nova Scotia, incidentally. Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. I'm gonna- I didn't look it up, I didn't check, but it's definitely not the one in Nova Scotia. <laughs> Yeah, Dartmouth, um, Nova Scotia is not really a place you go to follow your dreams. <laughs> it's a place you end up. Yeah, he went to Dartmouth, the other one, to follow in his recently posthumous father's footsteps. Burgess was at the top of his class and was quickly singled out as excellent officer material. But sadly for his hopes as a member of the Royal Navy, he was drummed out of Dartmouth due to poor eyesight and returned to Eton. Well, that's just not nice. It's notable that the excuse of releasing a cadet for poor eyesight was often used euphemistically to avoid embarrassment in cases where the boy in question was actually dismissed for some petty crime or perceived homosexuality. I was going to say, I have poor eyesight, and I am very rarely drummed out of public locations. And it's almost <laughs> never because of my eyes. It's, it's other things. For many, many it's, other, it's other reasons. But rarely the nearsightedness. <laughs> oh, yeah. If I'm getting formally exiled from a Denny's like it's the Lion King 2, uh, it's, <laughs> it's usually not because I wear glasses. Reports of Burgess's personality from contemporaries who attended school with him vary wildly. He was known alternately as a rude loner with an inferiority complex and a kind, warm, funny intellectual. Uh, there were, however, a few points of agreement, namely that Burgess was clever, slovenly, forthright, and keenly political. Like, everybody who meets this guy is just like, he's filthy and loves politics. That's That was, like, the consensus. <laughs> um, that describes most of my social circle in undergrad. <laughs> yeah, like, that's gonna be a theme throughout this. <laughs> Unwashed and political, that's all I need. That could have been the alternative title of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Burgess developed an interest in radical left-wing politics at Eton and later, at, and later Cambridge. He was also a member of the Debate Society at Eton, which I find explains a lot. Uh, <laughs> Brothers in arms. Brothers in arms. Uh, despite much of his identity <laughs> coming from his elite education and connection, Burgess became highly skeptical of the ingrained classism of British society and strongly sympathized with the cause of the poor and working class. 
though apparently this never stopped him from being a demanding ass to his family's own servants, according to Nigel. Younger siblings, <laughs> they'll rat you out. <laughs> they rat you out. <laughs> uh, Burgess received a scholarship to Trinity College, despite the examiner's opinion that he was perhaps the most broadly ignorant person they had ever extended the honor to. Uh, <laughs> which... <laughs> Take any recognition you can. Don't look you a know, gift horse in the mouth. <laughs> you know, take the scholarship, don't look back. <laughs> if they want to reward you for your ignorance, I mean, go for it. That's their choice. You know, <laughs> t- you know every time you're, you're offered a job that you don't think you're qualified for, like, I, you know, that's that's not any of your business. You know, they can, they, they can choose what, they can make whatever life choices they want to make. <laughs> Let them make their own mistakes. Um, they have to learn the hard way. <laughs> yeah, my presence here is a punishment for your past errors, namely hiring me. <laughs> um, he moved through both radical leftist and gay circles at Trinity, both of which brought him into contact with Anthony Blunt, a quiet graduate student four years his senior, who may or may not have been also his lover. Uh, honestly, though, I could not give you a full list of Burgess's lovers if I tried, <laughs> both because that many would be are the whole podcast confirmed, <laughs> but also because there are just too bloody many of them. I would have to start <laughs> ten minutes ago and just keep ca- talking for the next half an hour, and that's just names. I couldn't give you context. <laughs> Had he lived in the era of Tinder, he would have died of friction burns in his early 20s. <laughs> we wouldn't be having this conversation. Grinder? Oh, man. <laughs> they would have had to give it, give him skin grafts. That's <laughs> 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 I, I look forward to human being. Burgess took an evangelical attitude in both his politics and his homosexuality. He was constantly pushing closeted gay acquaintances to embrace their interest in men, either through introducing them to other gay friends or seducing them himself. Oh, I definitely went to school with guys like that. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I know many people like that. <laughs> yeah, they're like, have you ever tried dick? How about mine? <laughs> <laughs> it's like the guy who hands out samples at Costco, except, you know, yeah. instead of getting a cheese puff, you're getting some dick. Yeah, this this isn't ranch. Anyway. Um, <laughs> it can be if you want it to be. Ranch can be involved. <laughs> <laughs> I prefer Thousand Islands myself, but you know. Oh my god. <laughs> I'll let you choose. First time, timer's pick. <laughs> You're a sick person, uh, Jessica. <laughs> <laughs> the world is lucky I'm asexual. <laughs> I don't think I could ever eat salad dressing again, but continue. Fair. Uh, This meant that he was at the center of a tightly knit network of upper-class homosexual men who felt some mixture of gratitude towards him for helping them make those connections and the fondness of friends and former lovers. Blunt sponsored Burgess's entry into the Apostles, one of the world's most famous secret societies, which seems to be rather missing the point. I was going to say, if you're a famous secret society... You're not very you good fucked at up this. somewhere. Instructions unclear. Yeah, there are good secret societies, and there are famous secret societies. You gotta pick. <laughs> Both kinds. <laughs> Both kinds. As is standard with most so-called secret societies found at long-established elite schools, the apostles were deeply, flamboyantly weird. 
Potential new members, known as embryos, would be sponsored by an existing member, known as their father. At their first meeting, their birth, they would take an oath and thereafter call call fellow apostles brother. Alumni of the apostles, those who had left Cambridge and thus left the society, were known as angels. Uh, The apostles met Saturday evenings to discuss various philosophical matters, followed by kippers on toast, which they called whales. Yeah, men don't get to make fun of women for our emotional intimacy with each other, because I have never, ever called another woman my embryo and attended a ceremony in which I pretended to birth her. Yeah, because that'd be weird. I have never been at a sleepover or slumber party that was this damn weird. We just painted our toenails and and talked about our feelings. I put on an avocado mask. There was no simulated birth involved. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe there should have been. Maybe we're the maybe we're the fools. Maybe we're missing out, you know? (laughs) The prestige and structure of the apostles gave Burgess a great deal of access to various current and future powerful members of British society, as well as the opportunity to fill the ranks of the next generation of apostles with similarly minded Marxist partisans. Blunt and especially Burgess were crucial to the politicization of the Apostles, which was previously a largely apolitical conversation society. Which I think is also missing the point of having a secret society. You're not even going to sacrifice a goat? (laughs) Come on. Yeah, this is is just basically the breakfast club, but snobbier. Just admit you want to have slumber parties and eat kippers with your friends. That's that's all that this is. You just want to get together. If you're not railing against the man. Talk about boys like Rousseau. If if you're meeting with a secret society and you're not actively discussing how to turn the government into your shadow puppets, you're not doing it correctly. Yeah, you're wrong. You're just incorrect. <laughs> uh, fellow apostle Victor Rothschild complained to John Maynard Keynes, uh, we talk endlessly in the society about communism, which is rather dull. Incidentally, <laughs> during his time at Cambridge... Rothschild was charged with manslaughter after hitting a cyclist, and later became a notable advisor to the Thatcher government. But at no point was he ever an alien lizard controlling all the world's banks. He controlled at most one bank, uh, the N.M. Rothschild Bank, as chairman. Personally, I think the Thatcher thing is worse. The Thatcher thing is worse. I mean, that cyclist probably had a family, (laughs) but she hurt a lot of people. People... (laughs) People really glossed over the manslaughter thing uh, kind of way too quickly. <laughs> holy, sh- <laughs> holy shit. Yeah, yeah. There was, I think he largely got away with it due to his connections through his wife. Anyway. Um, <laughs> I mean, I don't, I, I wasn't going to accuse Rothschild of running the world because I'm not an anti-Semite who's afraid yeah. of fluoride. But, uh. They don't run the world, but they do occasionally run over bicyclists. <laughs> Less a lizard person problem, more of a rich person problem. <laughs> Just gasp, <laughs> gasp beat a dude. Uh, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> even, even Gatsby faced consequences for something he didn't do. But uh, spoiler alert, I guess, for a, for an 80-year-old novel. I mean, at this point, if you haven't read it, you were a bad high schooler. <laughs> or you're way too young to be listening to this podcast. Yeah. Go listen to something else. Put on Teletubbies. Stop. <laughs> We're terrible people. We'll teach you bad words. 
<laughs> Save yourselves. Like discombobulate. Yeah, that's that's the one I'm concerned about. <laughs> and children. truncheon. Again. And corn novel. <laughs> All things that I desperately need to shield the children from. Burgess's time at Cambridge in the early 1930s overlaps with a period of high anxiety over the rise of Nazism, smooth transition, and fascism in Europe. All right. <laughs> I can, I, I understand what it's like to live through that now. I didn't want to understand, but I do. I hope the next 1930s aren't like the first 1930s. <laughs> Communism gained ground in the eyes of left-wing academics as a potential bulwark against Nazism at a time when the established order in Western Europe seemed uninterested in, confronti- in confronting the growing power of populist nationalism. Again, flashbacks. Uh, many of Burgess's social groups, <laughs> including the Trinity Historical Society and especially the Cambridge University Socialist Society, known as CUS, were heavily Marxist, due in part to an active campaign by British, the British Communist Party to recruit members of the intelligentsia. It is through Cuss that Burgess became a member of the Communist Party of Britain cell within Cambridge, which likewise contained Kim Philby and Donald MacLean, who will become important later. In his third year at Cambridge, Burgess was unable to complete, complete his exams due to what appears to have been a stress-related mental breakdown. He was nonetheless given an agarotat, an ungraded degree awarded to students who are too ill to take finals, but are nonetheless deemed deserving of academic honors. It's entirely possible that his political interests had begun to crowd out his academic pursuits, contributing to a nervous episode, but some classmates claim that he accidentally set himself off through excessive use of excessive caffeine or amphetamines. If you could coffee yourself out of a degree, I would have done so. <laughs> Absolutely. Well before now. Oh, I rode that espresso pony. <laughs> <laughs> All the way. Yeah, I, I managed to get through two degrees being a narcoleptic with ADHD without any stimulants. <laughs> <laughs> I am a, a very annoying morning person. <laughs> this is why we've never lived together. Because one of us would murder the other. I, I'm not saying who would who who it would be, but my mother would be very sad. <laughs> uh, Burgess was temperamentally high strung and had a notable tendency towards self-medication, including heavy drinking and constant smoking. Alright, he's a beat poet from the 1950s. <laughs> you don't even decide to start smoking in this position. You just wake up and cigarettes appear in your hands. Burgess participated in Communist Party campaigns on behalf of striking city workers and against high rents for tenants in public housing. He likewise helped organize a strike on behalf of the waitstaff at Trinity, who worked under a casual labor system that allowed the university to lay them off during vacations. It was apparently Burgess's idea for Cuss, alongside the student Christian movement, to organize an anti-war march through the town of Cambridge. The march was scheduled for Sunday, November 11th, 1933 what was then known as Armistice Day, the anniversary of the end right. of the First World War, which later became Remembrance Day. As a cultural Yay. note for our American listeners, while Remembrance Day it's is It's not observed, Remembrance Day in the United States. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Remembrance Day is observed as the same day as Veterans Day, but it is it's more very similar to Memorial Day. It's less about honoring those who have served in the military in general, and very much about honoring those who died in the course of that service. My first Veterans Day in the United States was very confusing. I was like, but why are we having a parade? 
Are we angry with the troops? Are we are we blaspheming the dead? Why are we doing this? Because this seems like a weird time. Remembrance to have a party. Day. If you're not depressed and standing in the rain at a funeral service on Remembrance Day, you're a bad. To the Canadian. sound of a mournful trumpet. Yeah, you're a bad. The person. last post. It's just that's that's just what we do. So the fact that people yeah. have parades and barbecues is deeply unsettling. Super weird. And like even with Memorial Day. We don't have mattress sales. No, Remembrance Day mattress sales? If you try to hold a Remembrance Day mattress sale, somebody will put bricks through your window and no yeah. one will feel bad for you. Someone it's a will very somber burn occasion. Down your store. <laughs> <laughs> the way we honor the dead is finding the best trumpet player in high school in the country and making them stand in shivering in the rain. <laughs> That's how you Honor those who have served. <laughs> While they try desperately not to fuck up the last post. Which, if you're oh American, go look up the last post. It's not an easy song to play. No, absolutely not. It's that not is... taps. You, It's not taps. The goal of the November 11th march was to lay a wreath on the town war memorial with the inscription to the victims of the Great War from those who are determined to prevent similar crimes of imperialism. Ooh. And remember, Britain still has an empire at this point. Canada's still part right. of it. <laughs> this is a very political statement in a way that it isn't in the modern day. Yeah, let's not all die in World War Three is very apolitical. But uh... <laughs> yeah, that's just a normal statement now. They're like, I don't want to be deep fried in nuclear radiation. And people are like, fair. <laughs> fair, but back in the day, insolent. Insolent whelp. Nowadays saying Australia should be independent isn't a controversial statement. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, the local police insisted on the removal of the last two words of the, on the ground of a risk to public order. A fairly reasonable concern as the hundreds of left-aligned pacifist and anti-war students who descended on the town were met by strong opposition and even a makeshift street, street barricade. Full-on Les Mis style. Fights broke out repeatedly between protesters and counter-protesters, forcing police to make repeated baton charges to break up the violence. Burgess did not march, but rather helped poet Julian Bell navigate a beat-up Morris automobile which mat with mattresses strapped to the body as impromptu armor as they were pelted with eggs, flour, tomato, and the occasional fish. <laughs> you know what? That sounds like way more fun than the Women's March. I'm just gonna say it. Right? <laughs> I spent the Women's Day no March No one pelted cold. any of the women with fish. I didn't get to strap armor to a car and get pelted with fish. I'm outraged. I wish to file a complaint. This is the true, true, like, reflection of sexism. Why aren't we allowed to strap mattresses to a, a punch buggy and make our way to a war memorial through repeated <laughs> bat and charges and pelting raining fish? This seems far and more entertaining. I look forward to bailing you out of prison on November 12th. <laughs> You're always there for me. You're a real pal. The only <laughs> true ally. The following February, Burgess, along with many other students, joined a hunger march in London on behalf of unemployed workers. Burgess marched wearing a cardigan over his old Etonian tie, just in case he was arrested and needed to use his middle class status to get out of trouble. 
Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh my god! Before the days when just being white wasn't enough. <laughs> I mean, you can very much argue that it comfortably was in the case of Burgess. He got away with a lot of bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, I'm going to start wearing my Columbia hoodie to all my instances of civil disobedience. It is very, it is a sort of a funny cultural note that, like, people wear old Etonian ties well in, like, well in, like, into later life, which Burgess did. He was still wearing an old Etonian tie as a 40-year-old man. And, like, I have never identified that much with my elementary school. <laughs> like... Junior high, no. <laughs> I try to forget those days. <laughs> Being twelve was not good for me. <laughs> I was gonna. I'm just picturing him like showing up in his old Eton school uniform, like he's Angus Young from ACDC, just stuffing <laughs> himself into a little boy's school uniform, <laughs> <laughs> just little shorts and like a little bonnet. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is a full-grown diplomat. Just. just just the Angus Young of gay communism. After six months working on his doctoral thesis on bourgeois revolution in 17th century England, uh, Burgess was devastated when he was preempted by Basil Wiley's book, The 17th Century Background, which covered the topic extensively. He published a glowing review of Wiley's book and spoke very highly of it, but he was nonetheless morose on the subject and became deeply depressed. In the summer of 1934... Burgess left Britain on a trip to the Soviet Union with a friend with a friend and fellow communist, Derek Blakey. During a stop in Hamburg, Germany, they met a German communist who told them the Gestapo had bloodlists and was arresting Hamburg activists. Outside the bar where they were talking, fighting broke out. This was June 30th, the first day of the Night of the Long Knives, a vast Nazi purge Ooh. of their own paramilitary supporters in the SA, which had become politically inconvenient. The purge, with its mass arrests and extrajudicial killings, was a key event in Hitler's consolidation of power. Blakey and Burgess returned to their boat to the sounds of distant gunfire. Uh, Burgess gave his fellow communists at Cambridge mixed reviews from his time in Russia. He was delighted by the Hermitage Art Museum in Leningrad, but was unimpressed with Moscow. He found, indeed, that there was no unemployment, but that housing conditions were appalling. Burgess reported that he had been reprimanded by a militiaman for walking on the grass in a public park, but Blakey claimed that Burgess was actually reprimanded for being clearly intoxicated. Garanwi Reese said that he never heard Burgess talk about his travels in the Soviet Union, and that, quote, I do not think they ever affected his beliefs one way or the other. It was as if his communism formed a closed system, which had nothing to do with what actually went on in the socialist fatherland. One might think that it was during this trip that Burgess was first recruited by the Soviet Union, but in truth, the beginning of his career as a Soviet agent came later, after his return to Britain. Kim Philby, Burgess's old friend from, Cam from the Cambridge Historical Society, had spent a year in Vienna as a courier on behalf of the Austrian Communist Party, as part of the underground resistance there. After his return to England, Philby's Austrian communist wife, Litzi Friedman, introduced him to Arnold Deutsch, who went by Otto, a Soviet spy working under unofficial cover as a postgraduate researcher at, at London University. Recruitment was never anything so bald as explicitly asking British students if they would spy on behalf of the Soviet Union. It's more of a wink and a nudge kind of situation. 
recruits were initially led to believe that they would be working on behalf of the international communist movement. Bit of a bit of a bait and switch, bit of a just a slippery slope from like agreeing agree to do your buddy a solid and then betraying your country <laughs> and all that your nation stands for. <laughs> I hate it when that happens. Philby was given the codename Zunken, which you could roughly translate to Sunny Boy, and was first given the task of reporting on his father, St. John Philby, the former chief head of the Secret Service in British-controlled Palestine. Philby Senior- Can you imagine, like, betraying not only your country, but your family, and they call you Sunny Boy? Oh, yeah. I would be mad. Oof, twist the knife. (laughs) (laughs) Philby Sr. had been forced to resign from his position for passing confidential information to Ibn Saud, founder and first king of Saudi Arabia. So treason runs in the family. Absolutely. (laughs) Uh, Treason is genetic. Good to know. Apparently it's hereditary. You know, it's like eye color. Um, Does it have a dominant (laughs) gene? Who knows? (laughs) I'm treason recessive. At the time of his son's recruitment as a Soviet spy, St. John Philby was working as an agent on behalf of the Saudis and as a paid consultant for the oil company SoCal, what is now known as the Chevron Corporation. Oh, interesting. Philby Jr. was likewise instructed to publicly distance himself from communism and to acquire a respectable job that might prove useful in the future. He took up news journalism and secured a position as a correspondent for the Times only a few years later. Philby was further to recommend possible targets for future cultivation from his contacts at Cambridge and Oxford. At the top of Philby's list of seven potential recruits was Don McLean, a close friend and ally from Cuss, and definitely not an American singer-songwriter. That was my next question. (laughs) (laughs) Did he he drive his Chevy to the levee? Was the the levee levee dry? dry? Were the good old boys drinking whiskey and rye? I'm curious. <laughs> that was that was my first question. So. <laughs> uh, McLean was then studying for the foreign office exam, planning for a career as a diplomat. McLean was given the co- code name Visa, meaning orphan, a reference to the recent death of his own father. Because Otto is apparently just a fucking dick. <laughs> Who is handing out these nicknames? <laughs> yeah, jeez. <laughs> The nickname guy is kind of an asshole. The Russians do not give a shit. (laughs) At the bottom of Philby's list was Burgess's name, followed by four question marks. Uh, Philby had strong (laughs) reservations about recommending Burgess to Soviet intelligence. While Burgess was smart and would undoubtedly make a loyal and devoted agent given his strong ideological dedication to communism... Philby considered him temperamentally unfit. <laughs> like, even his friends were just like, okay. <laughs> you mean strapping matches to your not. car and driving it through a war protest doesn't show good judgment? <laughs> <laughs> Dedication, but not judgment. <laughs> Burgess nonetheless had significant appeal to the NKVD, the Soviet Interior Ministry. Burgess was smart, educated, well-situated in British society, and an obvious homosexual, all of which made him very attractive as a potential agent. The harsh penalization of homosexuality, both in the past and the present, means that a country's gay citizens are forced to conduct a significant proportion of their lives in secrecy. This enforced double life leads them to form strong, hidden social networks with other gay individuals built on trust and loyalty. 
In the words of Stalin's Englishman, the Soviets believed that these networks, if penetrated, could prove fruitful. Interesting choice of word. Interesting choice of word. <laughs> Not words, word. <laughs> Penetrate that network of the gays. Penetrate all those gay networks. Yeah, they use the word penetrate a lot. Like, a lot. And I'm just penetrate like, you harder, keep Daddy. saying that. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the entendre doesn't work in Russian, but I suspect that it does. And I suspect that they know it does. <laughs> I, I just, like, somebody thinks they're very funny. And I think it might be the nickname guy. It might be the same guy. <laughs> this is what passes for humor in Russia. Mocking people for being orphans and using the word penetrate over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> in reference to homosexuals that, just that famous soviet sense of humor oh uh, they're so funny the russians uh <laughs> gay men in these societies often experience a high degree of emotional alienation from the broader community but unlike other marginalized groups are able to move unimpeded and unnoticed through elite circles of society regardless of the merits of the debate over burgess's value and risk as a potential agent Burgess took the decision out of their hands through being an incurable gossip, an all-around nosy bastard. It's weird that you could you could earn favor with the Russians by being gay at one point, because that yeah. that stopped being an effective recruitment strategy uh, yeah. a long time ago. Like, they didn't like gay people at the time. Homosexuality was very much illegal in Russia. This is but not they a were forced to respect thing. them. Yeah, they're like, undeniably effective. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I'm not sure about this gay thing, but very smart, very useful. <laughs> <laughs> the most Russian emotion of all. <laughs> uh, grudging respect. <laughs> <laughs> After Philby recruited McLean and both began to publicly distance themselves from their once strongly held communist views, Burgess became immediately suspicious. He badgered both incessantly <laughs> until they came to the conclusion that his continued interest, if not sated, might put the entire operation in jeopardy. He just loved communism so fucking much. He's just like, there's no way you'd ever turn your back on this. This shit is too good. He's your friend from high school who sells pyramid scheme energy drinks and just won't shut the fuck up about it. But with communism. Communism. Is it the new cleanse? Maybe. <laughs> Healthy colon. Turn to communism. <laughs> McLean and Philby recommended Burgess to Deutsch as a talented and adventurous chap, capable of penetrating everywhere. And Burgess was delighted. He turned out to be an enthusiastic <laughs> collaborator. He, I just, they, they had he his number. The shit I'm just going to say. He, he was very Ooh. good at penetrating. <laughs> um, and he supplied over 200 names of friends and acquaintances ranging from conservative members of parliament to London prostitutes with a separate list of fellow homosexuals. Burgess likewise resigned from the Communist Party, baffling everyone who knew him. Yeah, that kind of seems more suspicious. <laughs> yeah, it's like 90% of your personality is being an intense communist. There's no way you're just giving this up. You were literally trying to sell me on this like three weeks ago, and now you're out? Sure. <laughs> How will you get in the president's circle now? <laughs> Burgess was given the codename of Maidkin, German for girl. And. Yeah. That's mean. That's mean! Fuck you, nickname guy. That's mean. You're a jerk. That's mean. Nickname guy is a dick. Holy shit. 
That's childish. Who the fuck hurt nickname Grow up guy? Nickname guy. Nickname guy has problems. <laughs> I think m- nickname guy was Just... picked on in middle school. <laughs> nickname guy didn't get enough hugs as a child. He got <laughs> sufficient degrees of hugs. He's mad about it. Yeah, Russian childhood's very hard. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's actually where I'm going to cut off for now. Ooh, there's there's more to come. There is more to come. Excellent. Next time you'll be here for uh, more Russia, and we'll give you the full details on what Burgess did as a spy for the uh, for the international communist movement, quote unquote. Um, treason. <laughs> Should be fine. <laughs> yeah, which, to be clear, he committed treason against his own country and his family, repeatedly. You know, there, if there's two things he's always down for, it's penetration and treason. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is not the dude at your, at your university who wears Che Guevara shirts and writes uncomfortable no. articles for the op-ed column. Uh, yeah, absolutely This is not. high treason. If, if, if you transported Che Guevara guy back in the day, though... He might have been G- Guy Burgess. Just, just maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Opportunities for just treason. Totally down for chain smoking and betraying Britain. <laughs> I was going to say, I was, I was handed very few opportunities to betray my country in undergrad. I'm not going to yeah. say that I didn't get any, but d- very few. <laughs> very, very few. It's really sad that, you know, undergraduates get so, so few opportunities. They really don't get the range they used to. <laughs> <laughs> it's always just like badminton or like toastmasters it's never just like betray the western world and all your allies <laughs> <laughs> how am i supposed to expand my resume yeah it's very limiting like i need i need extracurriculars to get into law school <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure that defecting to a defunct communist nation is exactly what the University of Alberta Law School is looking for, but you never know. You never know. Like it, I, it, it shows it, it initiative shows that I'm flexible. <laughs> <laughs> the University of Regina will def would definitely be down. <laughs> you know, flexible morally, physically when you mail yourself back to the motherland in a crate. <laughs> All the things that they care about. It's important to have an understanding of the legal system. If you're going to get away with this for any period of time, you have to be comfortable with how to escape law enforcement. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so we'll sign off of there. Um, I have been Jessica. And I have continued to be Janelle. And I'm proud of you for that. Thank you. And we are fat, French, French, and and fabulous. fabulous.